so as we come to a close with this series, if you're just joining us, we've been looking at the hope that we have in Jesus and how we can be in our city transformational, how we can reflect the city and how we can transform the city. And as we begin to land, our final question is, could we live the kind of lives our city is longing for? And I don't know what you think that is. Uh, Certainly when we listen to the news, there are all sorts of cries even this week of what our city and what our nation are longing for. But every single one of us, I'm sure, at root would say, I'm looking for something authentic that is real. I'm looking for something that is hope-filled and just and fair. And I'm looking for something that's relational. And in this passage that we have the Apostle Paul in the New Testament almost answering so many of the questions that we might have asked ourselves even this week about how we can live in a land that seems so pledged to violent speech, whether that's uh, in in our government, if that's uh, in our political arena. Uh, How do we live a different life, a salty life, a distinctive life, a life that might create an appetite in our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours. I remember moving into my house in sunny Melton Road, or slightly flooded Melton Road at the moment, and uh, I remember moving in there and I have a lovely neighbour, I have lovely neighbours both sides, incredible actually, but I have one who's a pagan biker, his name is Jim, uh, some of you might uh, know of him or have even met him, he's a lovely, lovely man. Uh, but when I moved in, I'd been living there probably about a year and chatting to him a little bit over the fence and uh, He said to me, Judy, can I just ask you something about you? What is it you actually do? (laughs) Which you may well ask. What is it you actually do for a living? And uh, I'm always slightly unsure how to answer that question. But I said, oh, well, I I work for a church. I'm part of the leadership of a church just here, actually. uh, Kings Heath, Mosley and Bourneville. And he went, nah, I thought so. I thought so. And you get a little warm feeling then, don't you? You think, oh, maybe, you know, put my recycling out and try my best and do my things. I'm sort of trying to live the life a little bit. We have a thing in our household now, what would Greta do? Um, and um, I thought, oh, there's, there's a lovely comment there. And I said, oh, thanks for saying that, Jim. And he said, well, it's just you play such dodgy music. <laughs> so I came down with a little bit of a bump there. But wouldn't that be great? We, uh, we do know each other better now. In fact, I had smoke coming through his chimney into my chimney and through my fire just this last week. Uh, so we're, we're close neighbours in that respect. <laughs> and he's a true blessing to me. But actually, in a way, isn't that what we want? Necessarily not what we do for a living, but what is it that actually we're living for? You know, if anyone that we're out on a night or we're in a cafe or we're out, um, it's a bit of a weird question in some ways, but if someone said to us, what are we living for? And I wonder, as followers of Jesus, if we would call ourselves that this morning, is a question is, who are we living for? Because the world says live for you, it says live for self, live for mammon, live for the gods of the age. But very clearly in this passage, Paul sets out a beautiful, countercultural, different way to live, to forgive, to relate. All of it is countercultural to what we have. We've had this week in Parliament, we've had a, a real cry from people to say, why can't we speak well to one another? You know, why can't we honour one another? And politicians have stood up and said, because we can't do it here, 
How do we expect our young people, our older people, people on our streets to love one another, to speak kindly to one another when we can't even get it right here? And as a church, surely even more importantly than ever, the distinctive needs to be real that authenticity. What does our city long for? Well, from the passage, but also from my own friends and relations, I would say I'm pretty sure that we're looking for authenticity. We're looking for something that if you dig deep, the same stuff runs through our veins, that actually it's real, it's authentic, it's what we're living for, it's who we're living for, it's real to us. It's not a nominal Sunday thing, it's not I'm a churchy person, I never feel like a very churchy person, do you? You know, but actually it's kingdom, it's kingdom lived out every day authentically, it's justice, Talking about Greta, if we look at last week when she called the world globally to rally on behalf of what is happening to our planet, we can no longer sit here and say that one person can't change the world, can we? Because a young girl in her teens has managed to do what we perhaps have failed to do. But she has done something extraordinary by hating what is evil. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. I don't know what her faith uh, is, but we have the Holy Spirit in us, if we're followers of Jesus, that actually is offended by evil. In fact, he can't even live alongside it. Jesus was known as someone who hated evil. In the original translation, it says he was horrified by evil. Not just that he hated it, it caused him horror. Some translations say he snorted at evil in the temple. He snorted at death when he saw it when Lazarus uh, was seemingly dead before he came back to life. He hated it. Justice, how do we come to land that hatred for evil in our world? And finally, relationship. We know from the stats, we know that just two years ago, we had the first ever loneliness minister appointed in our nation. Why was that needed? Because people are incredibly lonely, incredibly lonely. And the statistics grow and grow. And actually, it's not the elderly. Perhaps one day we used to say, oh, it's the elderly, they're alone, they're they're living at home. Yes, they may be very lonely, but it's our young people. It's the 18 to 30s category, the most lonely in our society, and men, apparently, the most of all. Emily Sanday's just released a new single, really good, called You're Not Alone. She says this, it's almost if we're asking what our world is saying. She says, are you sick and tired of being lied to, getting kind of bored of being ignored, can't find the tribe that you belong to? Oh, my friend, you're not alone. Are you tired of working for the minimum? Has your heart adjusted to the dark? I love that. Well, does it make you sick? They kill the innocent. Well, my friend, you're not alone. Beautiful lyrics that I heard on the radio just last week. And I thought, yes, Emily. (laughs) You know, there's something about the cry that she's written in that song that we have an answer for if we believe in Jesus today. Don't we? And have our eyes got adjusted to the darkness? Because I know mine do. 
You know, the things that perhaps first offended me when I heard about them that are unjust, when you hear about them a third time or a fifth time or a tenth time, I I dare to say we get anaesthetized to what the pain actually should be that we feel, as she says, when the innocent are killed, when we hear about slavery. Last uh, morning, we had a brilliant women's breakfast, if I can just uh, tell the men about it and the women about it, maybe. It was absolutely brilliant. And we had Abby, uh, Abby Clayton, I always want to call her Abby Clancy, but there she's married to a footballer. Uh, Abby Clayton, uh, she's from our Bourneville congregation, and she talked about the work that she and her husband Charlie did with 24-7 prayer movement for five years in Ibiza. And she said, we were unprepared, we weren't particularly trained, we were going into violent days, night and night, night and day, we were going into violent scenes. And she said, if you asked me how we did it, I would say we said, Holy Spirit, lead us every single day. Jesus, show us the people who are hurting. She said, sometimes we turn right instead of left because we knew the Spirit was on the move and that's what we were being called to do. And wouldn't that just be amazing for us as Riverside Church, as we're the river that flows out of here this morning, that we are that river, that the boundaries of truth, that the the kind of confines, if you like, that Jesus has put around us in his word for safety, for godliness, for justice, still helped us to flow out of this place into the places that need his love. Abby taught so beautifully about just how her heart broke for women who were selling their bodies day after day, and yet would give a gift to a homeless person of 10 euros, which had been some of their night's earnings because they wanted to buy them a meal. I love that. I mean, it's tragic in one sense, but there's something beautiful about it, that actually the the widow's might, if you know the story in the New Testament, that out of the poverty they gave... Little question, uh, just something I saved earlier on... Um, How deep is your mud? I don't know how deep your mud feels. Mine feels quite big at the moment. How deep is the mud? Depends on who you ask. We all go through the same stuff differently. Depends what height you are, maybe. I don't know. Um, But isn't that the case? That actually where we clash sometimes is because we're all coming at it from different angles. We're all going through stuff. But as we read last year, as we heard, every single person we meet is going through a battle we know nothing about. It's so true. And if church is to be authentic, if our life groups are to be real, our community groups together, we need to be able to share what we're going through, ask one another to be real. Paul says, love must be sincere. So if the city is saying we want authenticity, love is sincere. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for that, that we have a sincerity of love for Christ, a sincerity of love for Jesus. Hate what is evil. Maybe pray again for that for us, that we're not just kind of, oh, that's a bit annoying, but there's a hatred Interestingly, I read a commentary, you might not agree with this, but I read a commentary a couple of weeks ago that said Jesus Christ was the most angry man that ever lived. Some of you are gasping, thinking, oh, he's the most loving. Of course he is. Of course he is. The most loving person that I've ever met or known or read about in my whole life. So why would he be angry? Because of evil. And we can do the gentle Jesus meek and mild bit, and maybe we sing about that. But Jesus is still offended by evil. 
I went to hear Philip Yancey talking this uh, week, as many of you uh, will have done. And uh, he talked about the fact that when Jesus left his body here on earth after his 33 years, he said to this body, and I dare to say to Riverside Church, now it's over to you. You're the hope of the world. You're the body. This was my body. I was, I was angry. I was angry at injustice. But I prayed with people. I loved them. I fed them. I cared for them. I let my father guide me. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. How do we do that? I think it's in reading the Bible, even if it's having our phone apps on, even if it's having little verses come. We talked about having it on our screensaver, on our wallpaper, whatever it is. Truth, so that we cling to what is good. So that scripture keeps on being his living word, changing us daily. How do we do it? By authentic prayer. Prayer that is real, heartfelt, that isn't, as Pete Gregg puts it, play acting before God or role play, but it is authentic. God's big enough for you to shout, to cry, to wail, to whatever. He's big enough. And in doing that, we cling to what is good. We close the gap between what is put on and what is really, really going on in our lives. We close that gap down. We cling to what is good. Scripture, for me has changed me, is changing me. Over my years and years of reading, sometimes struggling with it, sometimes not reading it as much as I should, sometimes falling on my knees and reading it, it's changing me because it's living and active, because it's the truth. Interestingly, at the moment, I shared this last week, I'm struggling with the sin of pride. So what does God do? My phone app since the 7th of July has been stuck. This is the Bible in one year thing. I might need to take no help on it. On the 7th of July, the danger of pride. It's been stuck there. Even when I try to go through it to the passage, I can do that. I have the skills to do that. But I still have to face the seven dangers of pride before going into that. <laughs> So is God trying to tell me something? I think so, ladies and gentlemen. And it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one to wrestle with that. But wouldn't you rather God did? Why is he doing that for me? Because he loves me. And why does he want to change us and shape us? Let's see what E.F. Gifford says. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor, the proud one. Yeah. So when we know he's on our cases because he wants to change his world and we're his plan <laughs> and he doesn't have a plan B, we know we're it. Then he's on our case. He's refining us. He's changing us. He's challenging us. And it's hard. It's really hard. But he's doing it because he loves us. So, yes, Jesus may or may not have been one of the most angry people, but he was, certainly is the most loving Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. I really like Paul talking about this because I think he lived it out, didn't he? He went through shipwreck, imprisonment, a weird sort of illness or a, a thorn that we don't actually know what it was. Some people think it was mental health challenges that he had, depression. He went through all sorts of trials, but we couldn't really say he was lacking in zeal. He was passionate. Why? Because he knew what it was like to live without Jesus and he knew what it was like on the Damascus Road to find what he was living for, who he was living for. And this is when it gets really challenging 
to live counterculturally. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, and that's an important bit, I think, as far as it depends on us, as far as it actually matters to us, live at peace with everyone. Now, we already know, thankfully, that that does not mean we have to be a doormat. Anyone pleased about that? Yes? We don't have to be a doormat. We don't just keep saying, it's okay, I'm a Christian, just lay it on me every day. Doesn't matter. Of course it matters. It matters. But actually, right through scripture, we see what God can do where man can't. Even in the Old Testament, where Saul is on the run for his enemies, he ends up in a cave where his enemy and his men are actually hiding. So not a great escape route, really, when you think about it. But that's where he ended up. And David's there with his men. His men are saying, you've got him. You can kill him now. You can get him. And he just takes a little bit of his robe. And that's all he does. And then when he makes himself known, when they're outside of the cave, he says, I will not lay a finger on you, for it is God who will sort this. It is God who will sort this out. And when you've got someone in your life, and many of you will have today, that is on you, that is difficult to love, that is that family member, that neighbour, that person who is difficult to love, our country, our nation, our city are watching to see how do we do it differently. Uh, some of you know I have a slightly little bit of a tendency around uh, watching the odd reality TV show. I'm so sorry about that. Um, I've got better, but I still, you know, glimpse occasionally. And what always amazes me, and most of you are looking blank because you're not as bad as me, but most of the time they are doing crazy things on camera. And you think, at what point did they stop remembering that they are being filmed night and day? And you're almost shouting at the television saying, you're on a television show. Your parents, your gran, your nation is watching you. Or the, the fallen ones are, whatever, watching you at this moment. And you think, as time goes on, they kind of just seem to get, forget it or, or not bother. And I, in my deep pondering about this, was thinking, well, I guess when we look what our city is longing for, they are watching us. Jim is watching me. At the moment, it's not going brilliantly well with the smoke issue, but he's watching my life. He knows who I am. And you have people in your lives who are watching, not in a weird, dodgy way, not maybe in a big brother way, but actually they're watching. Why? Because they want relationship. They want hope. They want justice. They want authenticity. And we have that in Jesus. We have that in him. Live at peace with everyone. Tim Keller says, maybe sometimes extricate the evil from the person and hate that. Jesus said, hate the sin, love the sinner. Extricate it. Almost try and take the issue away from the person. Difficult to do, but we can do it in God's strength. Father Gregory Boyle works with gang members in New York uh, who have fought each other, who are now running a cafe together. Isn't that amazing? And he has seen amazing transformation in his city because one gang member works along another to serve others. And we're just going to hear a little bit from a TED talk. I hope it's clear enough what he's saying. He's got quite a distinct accent. But Father Gregory talks about what does it mean to be one? What does it mean to have kinship? Because our city, if it's looking for relationship, is looking for this kind of kinship. So let's just listen to what he says. 
last year, you know, at the cafe, we had a visit from Diane Keaton, the Oscar-winning actress, uh, movie star, Annie Hall, Godfather movies. And she's there with a regular guy who's there once a week. And her waitress this day is Glinda. And Glinda's a homegirl, been there, done that, uh, tattooed, been to prison, a felon, a parolee. She doesn't know who Diane Keaton is. And so she's taking her order. And Diane Keaton says, what do you recommend? And uh, Glinda rattles off the three platillos that she particularly likes. And, and Diane Keaton says, I'll have that second one. That sounds good. And then something dawns on Glinda at exactly that moment. She says, wait a minute. I <laughs> I feel like I know you from somewhere, like maybe we've met. <laughs> and uh, Diane Keaton decides to deflect it humbly. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I suppose <laughs> I have one of those faces, you know, that people think they've seen before. And then Glenda goes, no, now I know. We were locked up together. <laughs> uh, that just took my breath away when I heard it. And... Uh, I don't believe we've had any further Diane Keaton sightings since that moment. <laughs> but suddenly, kinship so quickly, Oscar-winning actress, attitudinal waitress, exactly what God had in mind. And if you'll permit me to uh, speak for God, uh, Jesus says it pretty clearly, that you may be one. That's the whole thing. That you may be one. That's the hope, anyway. All of us are called to be what Alice Miller, the late great child psychologist, calls enlightened witnesses, people who through your kindness and tenderness and focused, attentive love return people to themselves. You don't hold the bar up and ask anybody to measure up. You just show up and you hold the mirror up and you tell people the truth. You say, you are exactly what God had in mind when God made you. And then you watch people become that truth you watch them inhabit that truth, and no bullet can pierce it. No four-prison wall can keep it out, and death can't touch it because it's huge. But sometimes you have to reach in and dismantle messages of shame and disgrace that get in the way so that the soul can feel its worth. Beautiful words uh, from a truly beautiful man. Love what he says at the end there. He talks about kinship. In fact, the whole talk, uh, TED Talk, is about kinship. It's about no matter who we are, as this passage says. Associate yourself, as Paul says, with the lowly, the insignificant, that others might see as insignificant, and be one. Be one together. Hollywood actress, attitudinal waitress who's just come out from being inside causing friendship together, coming together, God's green come true, that we would all be one, is also our deepest longing for ourselves. I think we have got a city that's looking for unity. I think we've got a city that's looking for love. I think we've got amazing young people, and we have amazing young people in this church. We love you. We're really grateful that we have you here. And you have a chance, as we have a chance, to live alternatively, to live differently, to live as one, to show friendship, to show kindness. One of our young people is going off to university. She's uh, just been uh, going off from Myth to uni. And her mum and dad last week were waiting to take her off to uni. Everything 
everything packed up, and some of you are nodding, thinking, yeah, I've just been through that. Cars packed up, everything's there that you could possibly want, apart from the girl going off to university who has disappeared. So her parents are like wanting to get on the road, wanting to be off, and the missing ingredient is the daughter. So fairly big, it's not just like she's forgotten a pot plant, we've forgotten the daughter. Uh, where is she? She had gone to give a card to the man who holds the goddess love sign outside the cricket ground because he's her friend to say goodbye. She had gone to see a guy outside Sainsbury's who's homeless at the moment to give him a card to say she would miss him and be praying for him. Why? Because he's her friend. She wasn't out with her mates. She might have been the night before, I don't know. But her last time, her last hour here, was to say goodbye to the people that actually maybe others of us wouldn't be remembering. The guy with his God, I think he's amazing actually. You know, thick or thin, rain or shine, he's there. And I think when he gets to heaven, God will say, do you know what? Well done. You stood there in, in rain and shine and, and said God is love. And sometimes just going past, give him a smile and a wave. Yes, he is. Our city so needs to know that. This is Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Really challenging as we look at relationships that are distinctive and forgiving and loving and generous. As we look at kindness, it's all about what is given out. And yet, as we heard from our brilliant interviews earlier on, and yet the blessing comes when we give, when we serve. The blessing is reciprocal. And the world would say to us, keep yourself on the throne, look after number one. And we can see day after day, day after day in the news, it's not working, is it? It's not. So we have, I believe, as Riverside Church, as we come to a close this morning, an amazing opportunity to do things differently, to love where love is not, to be kind where kindness isn't, to honour where dishonour is. As Abby taught some of us yesterday, to go where the Holy Spirit would take us, to say every morning as we leave, as we go out to wherever we go or as we stay in wherever we stay in, just a short prayer, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, where would you send me today? And every single day, there will be a person who needs you. They don't need the person next to you. They don't need the person along from you. They don't need your sibling, your friend. They need you. Why? Because we're unique, as we heard last week from Tim and John. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. As some of you know, I'm passionate about this. I've risked attack in prisons talking about it. But you have DNA that is uniquely yours. I stood in Brinsford Prison saying, isn't it wonderful that each of you has your own fingerprint? And I've got more heckle than I ever have in my life. No, it isn't. It's why we're all here. Um, <laughs> so just don't do that. Um, but it is amazing, isn't it? Yes, it's what marks us out when we've done wrong, but actually, yes, it's the mark that each of us makes. It's the fingerprint that every single one of us here can make on the world. And finally, I love this verse. I go back to it time and time again. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we just prayed that every day, it'd be a good start, wouldn't it? That as evil does seem to be on the increase, 
even as we walk around. Overcome evil with good. The power of a prayer to suppress a fight. The power of prayer, as we heard yesterday, to actually somebody who's in, in a terrible state to send an angel to walk alongside them in the middle of a bar scene, in the middle of Ibiza. That there is power when we pray to the Spirit. Let us overcome evil with good. Let us be the body of Jesus. He's left it, he's handed it over, as Yancey said, to us. As we close, Sheldon Van Alken says, the best argument for Christianity, believe it or not, is Christians. That's the good bit. Is everyone excited? Yes. It is Christians. It's their joy. It's their certainty. It's their love. It's their completeness. Good news. The best arguments against Christianity, also Christians. Oh dear. When they are somber, unforgiving, joyless, narrow, oppressive, every time Christianity dies a thousand deaths. So it kind of is with us, isn't it? Because which do we want our city to see? Which do we want our city to experience? We want them to know that joy, that fullness, that love, that sincerity, to hate what is evil, to cling to what is good. C.S. Lewis says, you asked for a loving father, and the good news is you have one. Not a senile, benevolent character that drowsily wishes you happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate. Not the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guest. But the consuming fire himself. The love that made the world. He could write, couldn't he? I mean, I just think, I know I follow him on Twitter and he's dead and all of that, but I just think, <laughs> what, what wisdom, what incredible wisdom uh, for us 